Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. So grateful to be in God's house this morning. Uh, We're continuing on in our series that we've entitled Battle Ready. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17. And man, we say, it, we say it often, maybe not all the time, but we say it often. Just don't take our word for it when we're standing up here in the pulpit. But grab your Bibles. If you have the paper version, turn there. If it's digital, go ahead and push the buttons and get to Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Because you never know, like in the first service, I looked up and I was like, that's not the right verse. I typed it wrong on my notes. And uh, it was wrong on the screen because of me. So some of you were like, Ephesians chapter 4 is not saying what you're saying. But don't worry, it's fixed for this service. So Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be diving in and seeing. I think you're going to get an idea of where we're going. Some of you are like, we've been reading Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17 for the past six weeks. We feel pretty good about where it's going, and I think you'll get an idea of where we're going to land today. So read with me if you would. It says in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So this is a letter that's written to the church of Ephesus. This is an encouragement. This is the final chapter, and, and, and it's saying, listen, be encouraged. And finally, what I want you to do is be strong in not yourself, but in the Lord. Don't worry about being strong with your own strength, but you can rely on his mighty power and not your own. And then it says, put on the full armor of God, not a piece, not sections, but the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, that's a key word, therefore, it means for that reason. So if you read all of the verses before, therefore, it's giving you the instructions of why you're going to need this armor because there is an enemy who is scheming and it's against a fight that we need to put on this armor. So therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, you've, you've stood and you're, you're like, man, I've done it. Now stand firm. And here comes the tools. Here comes the resources and how we're going to stand with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. So you see, we're going to be talking about the helmet of salvation today. And helmets have always been crucial. I don't know what it was for me when I was a kid riding a bike. Uh, Helmets, I don't know if there was a law that said you couldn't wear one, but I never wore one. I don't even know if they existed. Uh, A few years ago, I talked about the bike I had and had bear trap pedals. How many of you have ever had your shins ripped open by a bear trap pedal, uh, right? Some of you are like, oh, I remember those. Well, we didn't need helmets and we didn't need pedal. We had pedals that would literally rip the flesh from your shins, okay? That's what it was like growing up in the 80s, kids. Um, But helmets have always been crucial. Riding a motorcycle, you wear a helmet. Good friend of mine one day out in front of our house, uh, he he had had his uh, Kawasaki Ninja for about three months. He's just messing around. He's like, and he pops a wheelie in the street and then he hits a bump and right back all got some road rash, but his helmet had some road rash itself, but it was crucial 
in that season. Football season is here, it's upon us. And so the players are wearing helmets, construction. Construction workers wear helmets. I'm not sure if you're an iron worker and you're ten, there's somebody 10 stories above you and they drop a, a steel girder on your head. I'm not sure if the helmet will protect you, um, but it is meant to protect you. If someone's working above you, they drop their hammer, right? They let it slip out of their hands and then it comes down. That helmet is meant to protect you. I loved playing baseball as a kid. I traveled all around the state and we played in big tournaments. And in those tournaments, you, you, your pitching was limited. So you could only pitch so many innings. And so me and this one kid would rotate. And so he would pitch, I would catch, I would pitch and he would catch. And um, you know, you get all the garb on and so you'd have the, the shin guards and, and the chest protector. And then you'd have the face mask and it's like all these are important. And I'm like, but what, I don't understand the helmet. Like the helmet just seems to confine me. Uh, and so one game I realized why this helmet was so crucial. So this big dude gets, I remember it because this guy was a monster. Um, I didn't grow until, I think, I, I, I didn't really grow until after I graduated high school because I was like 5'10 or 5'9 my senior year and then decided to grow after that. But I, I was probably like four foot tall. This kid seemed like a monster and he's up there and on the third strike, he swings out of his shoes and wham, misses. But instead of just like missing, he turns like this, wha-bam right in the back of my head. And I was like, oh, now I understand what this helmet is used for because it was there for my safety because helmets are meant to protect. And so Paul is not talking about a motorcycle helmet or, or, or a football helmet. He's, he, this whole illustration is about a Roman guard, right? With the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. I mean, the shield of faith that we talked about last week. And so uh, a Roman uh, soldier's helmet would look something like this. Uh, it looked like a snow scraper. Um, that's what it, no, I'm just <laughs> The Roman soldiers were prophesying for Ohio weather. Um, but this, this helmet uh, is very similar to maybe a helmet that they would wear. The helmet that they would wear provided two things. It provided identity and it provided safety. You see, the identity of this helmet, and the reason they're different is because that helmet would let people know what battles they fought in and what their rank was. So when when that soldier would appear, they would know automatically, oh, this guy's been through some things and he's six levels above me. And so there's there's reverence. And so it it would be an identity piece, but obviously it would also be a safety piece because as things were flying around, there was safety. Right? There was a protection from your mind. And so it's, it's important to realize that that helmet was for identity and safety. And so for us as believers, as followers of Jesus, what is it for us that brings identity and security? It's our salvation, right? It's, it's, it's who, what Jesus has done for us. See, we see in our text that we get the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, and you take up the shield of faith and then the helmet of salvation, Salvation is a saving from sin. It's the saving from the consequences of sin, our poor choices, right? And then we have an opportunity to follow Jesus and experience salvation. And it's through that salvation that we're able to experience the life power and the life-giving power of the Spirit to see our lives transformed. And I'm so grateful, I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that when we show up to church, it's not, we just don't do church. Like it's Sunday morning, that's what we do. It's nine and 11, so we gotta do, I, we don't just show up and we don't just do church. We don't just show up to sing a few songs. And though, even though I loved and enjoyed worship this morning, it was awesome, but, but we don't just show up and do church. We don't just show up and sing some songs, but we have an opportunity to put ourselves in a proximity to his presence where we can experience salvation and the transforming power of Jesus. I'm so grateful that he has transformed my life. 
I don't know about you, are you grateful he has transformed your life as well? Like I think about where I was and where I am and I still have a long way to go, but I'm so grateful that I'm not back here where I started. That along this, this process of becoming more like Jesus and surrendering to his salvation, we can experience his transformation. A few weeks ago, I talked about how complex we are as human beings, right? We have, and I broke it down like this. We, we have our bodies, which is uh, when you read in scripture, you hear the word flesh. Uh, you see struggles. There's, there's a, Paul talks about this temptation in Romans about the things that I, I want to do. I don't do the things that I don't want to do. I find myself doing. And, and in seven and eight, you see the battle of the flesh and the spirit. And so your body is that flesh. And then we see the soul. It's our mind. It's our will. It's our, it's our emotions. And then we have our spirit. And so when, when the scripture says, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and we say, hey, have you given your heart to Jesus? Have you, uh, have you asked Jesus to have into your life to have a personal relationship with him? This is that spirit. This is saying, Jesus, I'm all in for you. And that is experiencing salvation in your spirit. So it starts in the spirit, which empowers you to transform the soul, which brings about a victory in your body. And you can't just stop with the spirit. Like, oh, I've given my life to Jesus. No, you, you keep going and you keep moving in that forward progression. I love that Jesus accepts each and every one of us just the way we are. I love that because he met me right where I was at. I've shared this before. The first time I ever went, I wasn't raised in church. I walked through the doors of a church, uh, horrible hangover, horrible, head pounding. I'm like, stop. And this was a church where everybody had their own tambourine. Sweet Lord. One, we can't keep a beat. And two, the ringing is stop. But in that moment, he loved me just the way I, I was. But I'm so grateful that he met me and he loved me, but he loved me way too much to leave me in that spot. Right? And he loves you way too much to leave you in that spot. And so there's this progression of our salvation. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, I am certain that God who began, right? You're like, no, I chose him. No, he chose you before you chose him. Right? He began this good work within you. And it, the scripture says he will continue his work until it is finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is a process. This is a, I surrender and now I continue to surrender on a daily basis, being changed into his image. And so if we want to see transformation, it starts in the spirit, but it doesn't stop. And so we have to be renewed in our minds. And when we renew our minds, we have victory over the flesh. And hear me on this. It's because of this. You see, his sacrifice leads us to our victory. Jesus did not go through the beating, the flogging, the hanging on the cross so we could, we could live this comfortable life. No, he, he gave his life for us, that we, his sacrifice so that we would live for him and honor him with our life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, it says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul says, you gotta, you gotta put some effort in, right? You're gonna work this salvation out. Not the salvation of the spirit, but of the mind and of the body. Like this morning, Pastor Phil had picked this worship set. I didn't have this in my message, but he picked it. And so I feel like the Lord may be trying to say something. The children of Israel led out of captivity. They were enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. And now they, they experienced freedom, but they were still messed up. They still had a struggle. You see, you can get out of Egypt, but Egypt still can be in you, right? You can, you can get away from a situation and you can, you can follow and you're finding, but it's like, man, there's still something within me that God wants to continue to work out. They had experienced 
captivity, and now they're experiencing freedom, but many of them wanted to go back to being captive, even though they had tasted and seen. And so for us, we have to make sure that we're constantly allowing him to transform our lives. And here's why it's so important for us, that we allow God to work in our minds and allow our minds to be transformed. Because where your mind goes, you will follow. Where our mind goes, we will follow. There is a battle in our minds. Some of you are like, well, no, I, I feel pretty good. How, by show of hands, I'm just curious. How many of you have ever used the, the starts of the, I'm never going? How many have ever said, I'm never going? Some of you are like, are we talking about a destination? No, I'm never going to be good enough. No matter what I do, the expe- expectations placed on me, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to find Mr. or Mrs. Right. The Lord definitely wants me to be single the rest of my life. I'm never going to. And it's, and it's not that anyone told you that. It's right here. It's in our mind. I, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to find Mr. or Mrs. Right. I'm never going to have the perfect job. I'm never going to find freedom. Like I've given my life to Jesus and I want to experience freedom, but I keep going back and I get here and then I take three steps back and then I move forward. And so I'm never going to experience the fullness of his freedom. I'm never going to be able to give in the offering. I'm always going to be broke. I'm never going to be able to, when the scripture says worship in spirit and truth, there's always something that's holding me back. And so even though Pastor says, with the, Pastor Phil says with encouragement, man, let's lift our hands and surrender. I just, ah. And there's a struggle and we say the words, I'm never going. I'm never going to be a leader. I don't have what it takes. You see, there's a struggle in your mind. There's a struggle in your mind. Now, some of you, I get it. You're, you're like, but Pastor Lance, I'm, I'm sure that stops at some point, right? Like, you don't struggle with this. You are absolutely right. I don't. Listen, when I mention anything to my kids, I ask them to do something, their first response is, yes, dad. They never push back, ever. They never have their entire life. It's always perfect. It's amazing. There, there's, there's, there's no struggle. They just listen every, every time and everything I have to say. It's, it's, it's just person. I never doubt. I've never doubted in my life. Actually, every time I drive in a car, I only catch green lights. It's amazing. Like, it's just, a, it's just the presence of the Lord. For my birthday, I got a pony and a unicorn. You know what I'm talking about? Like, life is just really good. Of course I struggle. We all struggle. We're all on that same boat. It happens to the best of us. Last week after the service, I'd mentioned, I'd brought up in the service that uh, my first sermon was horrible. Right? The first sermon I ever preached, and they were like, Pastor Lance, I remember your first sermon. It was so good. Uh, it, it, they remembered the title. I was like, that's pretty good. Uh, they remembered the title, and they were like, it was really good, and I appreciated it. But did you really feel that way? Because what I informed the congregation of is that within the first 18 months of being here as lead pastor, I had officiated 23 funerals. And I had made the analogy that my sermon, my preaching was so bad that people would rather die than listen, you know, to what I was saying. Um, And I was like, nah, that was just an analogy. But they they were sincere. Did you feel that way? And I was like, well, yeah, actually I did a little bit. I I was like, man, for me, and my wife will attest that the thing that probably held me back to, to moving into a lead pastor position was I don't know if I can do this every Sunday. I don't know if I can stand up. I don't know if I, if I can articulate enough, if I can be funny, if I can make people laugh. Like I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And every single Sunday, like my stories will get old and people aren't gonna listen and they're gonna be bored. And if they're bored, they're gonna fall asleep. And if they fall asleep, I'm gonna take it personally. You know what I mean? Like this is the things that are going through my mind and there's this struggle. And so hear me on this. There would be times early on 
Like where I'd stand at the door and I greet people and I still do it today, right? Where I would, they would be like, oh, pastor, good sermon. In my mind, I would think there's a but coming. There's a but coming. Hey, such a good message, but ah, you, you could have said this. You should have, you should have done this. Like if you would have had a better closing, then maybe people would have responded. So the lack of response is really your fault. And then how you know the mind gets the best of you, right? Oh, no one listened. No one cared. Everyone, how many know that one person's sleeping, everyone's sleeping. Like no one paid attention. No one got anything out of it. And so all I did is waste my time. And so it must be me. And, and if it's me, then, then I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Like, how am I going to teach people the gospel? How am I going to teach it? I mean, there's people who are sitting here who have been Christians longer than I've been alive. Brother Harold Miller, he's back there. Uh, he, he taught adult Sunday school. I think it was like 23 or 24 years in a row without ever taking a break. The curriculum they used would repeat itself every seven years, which, mean he, which means he taught it three times. How am I going to teach him? He's probably forgotten more than I know. You know what I mean? Like, I, how am I going to do this? Because I don't feel qualified. But then there's Tina. Then there's Tina. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And Tina, listen, I'm telling you, I told her, I was like, listen, Tina, you got to live till you're way past 100 because then I'll retire, right? Like, and I, she would come up to me at the end of services and she'd be like, Pastor Lance, and she'd be crying. And she'd be like, Pastor Lance, that's the, I needed to hear that. And I'm like, that's the attitude we all need to have, right? Even if I've been serving the Lord for decades, there's still something for me to lear learn and apply to my life. And the, but here was the thing, in my mind, I'm like, oh, Tina came up to me and she wasn't crying. That means Tina hated the message. If Tina hated it, everyone hated it, right? And so that's it. That's it. So Monday, I'm taking a day off, and I'm working on my resignation letter, and I'm quitting because if Tina didn't like it, I ain't preaching ever again. Now, that's not true. I didn't write a resignation letter, and I didn't feel that way about Tina. But do you see what I'm saying? Our minds get the best of us. But hear me on this. Over the years, you work on that. You go, man, that, is that true? Is that really what's happening? And so you process this, and, and, and I'm going to give you some tools and resources and, and how you do that and how you take those thoughts captive and how you work through those negative thoughts. So here's what you got to do, 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so now on Sundays, what do I do? I take every, I take every thought captive, and I go, no, man, it's not me. It's their ears. I'm just kidding, I don't do that, right? But it's, it's, it was one of those things where we take those thoughts captive. And I feel like for, for some of you in this room, it's time for you to begin practicing some chokeholds on some of your thoughts, right? To take those so captive to where you're like, no, 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 this one's not gonna run wild in my mind. There are, some, there are some thoughts today that need to be served in eviction notice. Like you don't pay rent, you don't pay utilities, you have to go. Like this is not who I am, this is not my life, this is not who God says I am. But so often, what do we do when we're stuck in our mind? We complain about the blessings we've received. Like, Lord, I'm out of work for six months, and you answered, and you've given me a job. It's the worst job ever. Why did you answer? Like, I would have been better off staying in Egypt. And we begin complaining about the blessing that he's already answered in our life. Like, God, I know I prayed, and I know it was years that we prayed for children, and now we have children, but I'm wondering what the warranty is. <laughs> like, is it 90 days? Can I return? Like, what? I... Some of you are like, I'd never return my kids. Wait till they're teenagers. You maybe think that. No, I'm just kidding. But here's the deal. Is, is, we're, is we receive his blessings, and then we complain about them. 
Like, God, I just want to be married. And then Mr. and Mrs. Wright come along. And now you're like, man, now I understand what the scripture means when it says pray for your enemy because I'm married to, no, you're not married to your enemy. You're not. You're not. God has blessed you with a partner, a spouse. When the word says when two or more agree on any such thing, you plus your spouse equals two or more. You have a prayer partner built in. Your partner in life is not the enemy. God has blessed you with them and you should treat them accordingly. And so we honor, but what happens is we get stuck in this thing in our mind where we're like, man, I'm not sure if this is what's going to happen. And uh, Hear me on this, church. When your blessings become burdens, it's time for you to banish those thoughts. When your blessings become a burden, that's when you go, mm, nope, I'm going to banish that thought. Because if God has blessed me in this area of my life, if he's taking care of me, then I will be grateful for what he's doing. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So why do we put on this helmet of salvation? Two things. It empowers us, number one, it empowers us to think differently about who we are. You see, the Roman soldiers are wearing the helmet. They know it's significant because they can see rank they know who they are. It's symbolic. And so for us, we're able to put on this helmet because we want to make sure that we understand where and in who our identity is found. Because the enemy is always coming after our identity. We wear labels, something that was spoken over us, something that was said to us. And we carry that for years. That's why I'm, going to counseling was so beneficial for me. Because when I was a kid, I don't know why I processed things. Maybe you just take things that are personal. I remember being in junior high and my parents didn't have any money. And my dad actually had just gotten out of jail and um, he didn't have any work. And so to go, we went, went to go to school. It's like this time of the year, you got to go get new school s- supplies, right? You got to get new, you got to get those new threads. And my parents went to Hills. Hills is like the old school version of Walmart, right? And uh, I was like, I don't want to wear this. Everybody's going to know where I got it from. And I remember walking in and I remember some kids who were like, ah! dude, I saw that. You got that from Hills. Dang it. I knew I shouldn't have wore this today. And so in that, mind, in, that, in that season, what happens is defeat. And so it was in that season where I went, oh, I'm going to make sure no one ever makes fun of me again for what I wear. And so then, I'm, then I, next thing you know, I'm in, I'm in high school and I'm like, oh, I'll only wear guest jeans. I'll only wear Polo, Nautica, Tommy Hilfiger. I'm not wearing anything that's not name brand. It has to have a label because if it doesn't have a label, it won't be accepted. And in, in my mind, that's what I believed to be true because I just wanted to fit in. But can I just tell you this morning, don't allow your label to be your limit. Don't allow the label, something that's said to you, something that was spoken over to you, something you were criticized about when you were a kid or an adult, to be something you wear as a badge of honor or to be your limitation. Like, I can't go any further because this is what someone told me. No, you speak against that in the name of Jesus. And this is nothing new. We see it in scripture. There were labels put upon people. There are people in scripture that we don't even know their name. The woman with the issue of blood. I mean, hey, woman, we know you. You're the woman with the issue of blood. You're, you've tried. You've gone to doctors. The scripture says. Everything says you, you are this woman, and, and all of a sudden, it, this is who you are. And so now, you're known as a label that you carried. Bartimaeus. I say, blind, I say Bartimaeus. You think the word blind, because that's what we know him as. Oh, he's blind Bartimaeus. He was, he's always, this is just who he is. He's, he's Bartimaeus, but we call him blind Bartimaeus. There's an individual in scripture called the demoniac. 
Can you imagine the, like the, the roll call at school? John, here, demoniac, here. Like, it, like that's what, that, that we don't know the name, it's demoniac. These were labels that culture had put on these individuals, but I'm so grateful that Jesus comes along and changes the game, right? Because the woman with the issue of blood touches the hem of his garment and instantly she, instantly she is healed and she's no longer the woman with that issue because Jesus changed the game. Bartimaeus is no longer blind, he's just Bartimaeus. The demoniac is set free and now has a new identity. Peter, think about Peter for just a moment. When you look in scripture, Simon, Simon Peter, his name is Simon, Simon. Now I understand there's, there's different definitions for names, but one from the original text for Simon, because some, some are like, oh, Simon means like hearer. Yes, it does, but Simon also meant snub nose. Like, oh, that's awesome, I love, like Lance, what's that mean? Lance, like that's it, that's all it means. Lance means Lance, I don't, whatever. But his name's Simon, so he's snub-nosed. But in the New Testament, in John chapter 1, verse 42, Jesus, Jesus says this. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will now be called Cephas, which means, or translated, Peter. And Peter means rock. Snub-nosed to rock. Jesus was saying, Peter, I see who you were. I see who you are, but I want you to know I have a plan for your life. I have a purpose for your life. In thousands of years from now, Peter, people are still going to be talking about you. You, Peter, the one who is going to deny me, listen, that's not what you're going to be known for. What you're going to be known for is after, after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit is poured out, you're going to stand up in front of thousands of people who could put you in prison or even kill you, and you will preach the gospel. And thousands of lives are going to be changed because you are now the rock. There is an identity shift that happened because Jesus was a game changer. And can I let you in on a little secret this morning? It's actually not a secret, but if he did it for Peter, he can do it for you. Right, the label you're wearing doesn't have to be that. The name spoken over you, you don't have to receive. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says the new has come, the old is gone, and anyone in Christ, anyone in Christ is now a new creation. And someone needs to hear this. Someone needs to write this down this morning. My issue is not my identity. My issue is not my identity. You are not addicted Alex. Like, well, I'm just an addict. And so, so I'm, my name is addicted Alex. No, I'm, I'm drunk Dave. Nope. Well, I'm angry Alice. Nope. We need to learn how to separate our who from our do, because we have an identity that is founded in him. Your past failure is not the framework for your identity. It's who Jesus says you are. And so today, some of us need to process and hear the word, I am. And then finish that sentence, I am. Well, what does the word say you are? I am chosen, I am redeemed, I am hand-selected, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, I am loved, I am gifted, I am valued, I am a victor, I am special, I am forgiven, I am healed, I am whole in Jesus' name. That's what he says you are, and so we need to process that in our minds. The second thing, why do we put on the helmet of salvation? It's because we need to think differently about what we do. We are called to be different. The scripture, almost all of scripture, is counterculture. There is a right way and a wrong way to do things. There's a right way and a wrong way. We talked about this, I don't know, maybe eight, nine weeks ago in a sermon where I talked about the, how do you put a roll of toilet paper on the holder? Over or under? Everybody said over. So there's a right way and a wrong way. So if you put it under, 
you're wrong. That's what everybody in this room said, right? There's a right way and there is a wrong way. For instance, pineapple is an acceptable topping for pizza. It's right. Yeah, here's why. I have the mic, you don't. That's what's happening this morning, okay? It is right. Right or wrong. You either root for the Browns or you root for the wrong team. Right or wrong. That's just how it's going to be, right? The rest of you, you just be wrong. But you're like, well, how do we know right from wrong? Use the guide map. That's what we're going to finish up next week with the word of God, the sword, right? We have a guide map that shows us right or wrong. Now, some of you went, nope, because here's the problem. Because when I read in scripture and we, talk, when we look at right or wrong, that means God is wanting to suck the fun from my life because he wants me not to do this, but I want to do this. And so it feels like when I read the word that God is trying to control my life. Can I let you in on something this morning? God is not trying to control your life. He's trying to free you. It's not about control. Has anyone ever heard a fish complain about water? Well, the water just seems like it's trying to control the fish. No. Do you know what fish thrive the best in? Water. Because they were meant for this body. This is what they were meant for. This was the design. This was their purpose. And so because they're living in their purpose, they experience freedom and not control. The fish aren't like, oh, I wish I could go die on land. No, they want to thrive in their environment. Think about it for a moment. Does a train complain about the tracks? The tracks just keep me on the same. I never can steer off of these tracks. It feels like these tracks are trying to control my life. Without the tracks, they have no control. Without the tracks, they have no destination. Without the tracks, they have no guide to get them from A to B. So the tracks do not control them. It actually empowers the train. So we can't look at it as trying to control it. We need to look at the word as it's trying to free us. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. How do we have this victory in our minds? It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. So he has given us a list, right and wrong, the things that we are to think about. So we have to ask ourselves, is it true? When we say, is it true, does it line up with the word of God? What does the word of God have to say about me? So that, is it true? Secondly, is it noble? That means, is it honorable? Is it worthy of praise? And so is your thought life honorable? Right? So is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Right meaning, is it in conformity to God's standard? Not is it right in your eyes, but is it right in his eyes? I wonder if your thoughts were broadcast to the world to hear would you be embarrassed? Right? Some of you are like, mm. turn the frequency off now. Like, no, not good. Because right now I'm thinking, would you stop talking? It's lunchtime. No, but here's the deal. Is what our thought lives be broadcast to here? Would you be embarrassed? Is it pure? Which means undefiled. Is it clean, holy? Is your thought life clean? Is it lovely? This word that's used here in the New Testament, it actually means love towards. Uh, one scholar uh, translated as this, those things that grace attracts. Right? So do your thoughts automatically attach themselves to which is beautiful and lovely? The sixth thing we see, is it admirable? Is it worthy of study and contemplation? Is it, when it's admirable, is it positive or is it negative? Is it constructive or is it deconstructive? Are, are the things in my mind building up or are they tearing down? And then lastly, is it excellent or praiseworthy? Is, some, is it something that God would approve of? That's how we have a transformation of our mind. And so what that means is we need to have a shift in our mindset. There's, a, there's something that needs to happen 
right here, because when we get this up here, it moves that 18 inches to down here. And once it's in our heart, we begin to have and experience the victory that God has already won for us. So, so what are some things we need to shift in our mind? Number one is this, I'm not living for self, I'm living to serve. Right? This, this life is, is not saying, oh man, I can't wait to do what's best for me. No, I'm going to live according to Philippians chapter two, 2 that says, put the interest of others before myself, which means I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to serve others. I'm willing to look out for the needs of others. We were in Columbus this week. There was 20,000 people down there for National Youth Convention and National Fine Arts and General Council. And there was a moment that I looked over that one of our pastors, I have no clue where he's from, there was a homeless man on the street. And in the middle of High Street, busy, one of the busiest streets in all of Columbus, this guy kneels down right there in the street and pr- is praying with this man. And I'm like, yeah, because that's what it means to not worry about self and to be willing to serve. Because it may not always be in the environment you want, but it's in the opportunities that God gives you. Another shift means, I'm not holding grudges, I will forgive quickly. Do you know that unforgiveness is not really holding the other person captive, it's holding you captive? You're you're stuck in in this imprisonment of your own mind because we're holding onto a grudge. And I get, it's so easy, you're like, that was really easy to type. Yes, it was. It's a whole lot harder to put into action. But if we wanna have a, a shift in our mindset, then that means we have to say, I'm not holding grudges and I will forgive quickly. The next shift that can take place is I'm not managing my sin, I'm walking in freedom. This life isn't about managing. Well, I didn't do, I wasn't that bad. It, it, it was better than it was yesterday. This isn't about management. This is about finding freedom in the person of Jesus. And I know that he is more than enough. The next shift is I'm not alone. I'm a vital part of the family of God. Jen said it this morning during announcements, right? And the welcome, like you may have showed up as a guest, but we want you to leave as family, and that's our heart. It's not just something we say, it's something we live. Because you're a vital part of the family. Right? We're a beautiful puzzle, and it, without your peace, it's unfinished. And so every, every life matters. Every life matters. And so we need to make sure that, that we realize we're not alone, we're a part of the family of God. Another shift that can take place is I'm not looking at people as my problem, I'm looking at people as my purpose. Let that sink in for just a moment. Your coworker is not a problem. Your neighbor is not a problem to be solved. They are, they are the reason why you're here. Jesus said, Jesus said that he has come to seek and save that which were lost. So every lost person matters to Jesus. There are hundreds of unreached people groups that have never heard the name of Jesus. And because of that, that means our purpose is to make sure that there are people in the United States and all over the world that need to hear the name of Jesus. So they're not a problem, they're a purpose. Like it's not my problem that Tanzania does not have birthing centers. That's not my problem, that's their problem. Tell their government to fix it. Tell their leaders to build it. Those people are our purpose. They have value. And do we see them accordingly? I'm so grateful. I had a chance on Sunday this past week to drive the general superintendent of the entire country of Tanzania in my vehicle for three hours. And I'm just asking him questions. And he's just, he's one of the smartest men I've ever met. And I said, yeah, we're so excited. We're trying to raise the money for, for one of those birthing uh, centers in Tanzania. And he just paused 
And his, all he could go was, thank you. And he's got this big, deep voice, thank you, Pastor Lance, thank you. The world, the country will be different, thank you. And I was like, oh, that's why we do it. Because it's not a problem, it's a purpose. But we should see our neighbors and our coworkers and the person sitting next to us and our spouse, not as a problem we need to fix, but a purpose we need to lean into and love and give and selfishly sacrifice something for them. But that's the shift of our mind. And then lastly, I'm not giving up. I'm just getting started. Oftentimes we're like, man, I just, just want to quit. It's Monday morning preacher problem. I just want to quit. No, I'm just getting started. Right? I'm just getting started. I want to quit. I want to keep investing in the lives of people. I'll close with this. And I'm not, this is an illustration. This is not I'm just giving it to you in context. So I want you to hear it as such, but I think it's applicable to our lives. You go to the circus and they have these rings on the ground. And the largest animals on planet Earth are in those rings. And you're like, I don't understand this. How does an elephant, how do you train one of the strongest animals on the planet? How do you train this massive beast to stay inside a ring? Like, I don't know about you, but if I'm an elephant, I go, this is a tent. You people are puny. I'll just run. I'm going to take off. I don't want to be here. I, I feel like I'm in captivity and there's freedom on the other side of this tent. So out I go. But they stay in the ring. After birth, these elephants are put inside of a ring. There's a stake that's put into the middle of the, the ring. And then they put a rope around its leg and attach it to the stake. So what the elephant feels at a very young age is I can go this far, but no further. Oh, I can go to this side of the ring, but I can't go any further. And then I can get to this side of the ring and that's it. So there's a training that's happening that's confining them to a space. Now understand something, the elephant could easily break away. The elephant does not have a strength problem. It has a mindset problem. Because what its mind has been trained to do is to, lead, to live a life that is staked, that can't go any further than this ring. And I want you to know today that the stake that is holding you back can be ripped out of the ground. The stake that is keeping you from experiencing all the fullness of God that he has for you is you're able to break that. You can actually take the rope off of your leg and walk out of the ring and experience his goodness because that's the freedom that we have in him. That's the life-giving love that he has for us. And I feel like today there's some people that need to have that freedom. So what do you do? You put on that helmet of salvation. So today as we close, I'm gonna have two prayers. So if you wouldn't mind just for a moment closing your eyes. I wanna pray for two different groups of people here this morning. The first is this. If you're here this morning, you're watching online and you're like, ah, that's me. Pastor Lance, that's me. There's, there's a battle in my mind that I, I, I feel like I can't win. So I need to put on that salvation because I need, I need my identity to be rooted and grounded in who he says I am. Not in my own thoughts. And I want to I wanna live free. I don't want to go back to captivity. I don't want to be like the children of Israel. I want to I wanna be free and whole and I want to experience that shift in my mind and, and that's who I am. I want, to, I want my identity and security to be in Jesus. 
this message resonated with you and you're like, that's me. I, I, I need to win this battle in my mind. I want to pray for that victory over you today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, I, need, I want you to pray for me, Pastor Lance. I want to experience that victory in my mind. Thank you. The second prayer as we close our service today. We have to put on this helmet of salvation. Salvation, as I opened with, is being able to experience or not experience the consequences of our choices because he made a way. He has saved us from our sin. And through that salvation, we can experience his life-transforming power. But that means we have to be willing to receive it. We have to be willing to say, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm on your team. I'm on your side. I want a real relationship with you. I want to call upon your name. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you're watching online, one of our hosts would love to pray with you. And you're in the room. I'm going to take just a moment and pray with you. If that's you, say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Would you raise your hand? No one looking around. Just raise your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray all over this place. Jesus, thank you for who you are. And Jesus, I'm I'm so grateful that you saw me and you loved me. And that Jesus, I don't have to, you loved me in that moment, but you loved me so much that you didn't leave me there. And and Jesus, I'm so grateful that you want to give me victory in my mind, that you want to renew and transform my mind. And so, so Father, I just pray that you would do that today inside all of my friends that said, that's me, it resonated with me. I I want victory. God, I pray that you would give them the victory in Jesus' name. That when they leave today, the, the games and the doubt that creeps in will be squelched because they're, they're taking every thought captive. They're thinking about what is true, what is lovely, what is, what is pure, what is clean, what is admirable, what is excellent and praiseworthy. Or our identity and our label. I speak against whatever somebody said about us or to us or through us that has held us captive. God, I pray that we would find freedom in you. And Jesus, for every hand that went up to receive you, we're grateful and we rejoice. And Jesus, we admit our need for you. We're so grateful that you gave your life so that we could experience a real relationship with you. So Jesus, continue to do a great and mighty work in our lives. This is not the end, this is the beginning of following after you. We give you praise and glory in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.